Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning again. It's good to see all of you, and it is fun to kick off Christmas talking about the greatest story I believe ever told, the story of Christmas. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Over the next few weeks, we're just going to simply look at the story of Christmas. But today is special because we're going to look at the backstory of Christmas, the story before the story of Christmas. And this is why I think it's important because Christmas is believable because the backstory is so incredible. And that's what we're going to look at today. And you might be here and you go, you know what? You guys are talking about the Christmas and this whole Christmas spirit idea. You got it decorated and it feels good. It looks nice. But that's not my life. My life isn't a Hallmark Christmas movie. And you might be here and think, I've got real pain and disappointment and challenges in my life. It's not all glitter and lights. It is at times very difficult. And if you're like a lot of us, we want to experience the love of God, but in our life, we are experiencing the pain of this life. And it feels like a tension sometimes, doesn't it? I want to experience the love of God, but I am experiencing the pain of this life. And if you're new and you're just sort of checking church out, you might be surprised that if most people who follow Jesus were honest with you, they would tell you, that's how we feel too. There is a tension in this life that we feel between the love of God that we want to experience and at times do and the circumstances of our life which are sometimes painful. It's Dr. Peter Bogosian who's an atheist professor who actually has recently made this claim of Christians in particular but anyone who follows a religion or a God who is unseen. He argues that this belief should now be categorized as a mental disorder. And the reason is, he said, there is no evidence of an unseen God. And yet so many people believe. And he says it reveals that there is something wrong with our ability to discern truth. Now, here's what I would say. Dr. Bogosian doubts So do you, and so do I. We have doubts. We have real doubts. The difference is I don't think that we should be afraid of our doubts or allow our doubts to determine everything, but to embrace that having faith means to have doubts. But let's just be honest. Here's the opening question I want us to consider. Why do I trust God when at times my circumstances indicate that he isn't trustworthy? I mean, not all the time. I mean, sometimes your kids make you proud and you get the promotion and life's pretty good. But then sometimes your kids rebel or you're, you lose the job or your health declines or someone in your family gets a terminal disease, you lose a loved one and all of a sudden, where's God? Where is a good God now when my circumstances don't match what I would expect a good God to allow? How do I trust him then in this Christmas season when it doesn't look like a Hallmark Christmas movie? And that's what I want us to talk about because I'll be honest with you, I've been there. I, 
I'm there a lot. I mean, if I'm honest with you, there have been times where I feel like, God, I obeyed you. I did what I knew to do. I wasn't perfect. You know, I always tell God that as if he didn't know. And God, I wasn't perfect. You're like, yeah, okay. And, but I did what I knew to do as best I could in finding your will and taking those steps of faith. And this is how it turns out. You know, sometimes you, you, you get to that place where you're at your job and you think, these are the people I work with? This is the church I lead? I never think that. <laughs> but you, you, you start thinking, God, this is what you're going to allow to happen in my family? This is the health report I'm going to get? This is the stock market? This is the political candidate? Like, we start going, this isn't like I expected because I feel like I've done all that I can do and this is it? Like, we feel that way. That's real. That's true. That's genuine. And if you feel that way, at times you are amongst friends because this room is full of people who wrestle with belief and unbelief, with faith and doubt. We wrestle with these things. We want to believe the love of God, but I have the circumstances in my life that don't seem to match a loving God. Well, what do we do with that? How do I trust a God who would allow circumstances that don't seem to indicate that he's trustworthy? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today because it's the backstory of Christmas the characters in the backstory of Christmas that look a lot like me and you, struggling with belief and unbelief. Now, I love the story of Christmas. I love Christmas time. I was talking to my mom this week on the phone, and we were talking about my dad, who's, in, who's passed away several years ago now, who loved Christmas, never could get the Christmas tree out soon enough, never could keep it up quite long enough. That was always my dad. And, and I love Christmas too. In fact, I love this verse, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, because it once again reminds us of the beauty and the miracle of Christmas. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, Matthew 1.23. And as we go through this series, I would love for you to keep coming and consider memorizing this beauty, this anchor of the Christmas story. So would you just say this verse out loud with me? Say it with me. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, Matthew 1.23. But the Christmas story did not begin here. The Christmas story didn't begin where most people think the Christmas story began. The Christmas story did not begin with angels announcing the birth of Jesus. The Christmas story did not begin with a Mary looking for a room in the inn. Instead, the Christmas story began 2,000 years before Jesus and the first Christmas. And that's what we're going to look at today. Why? Because it's so incredible, it makes the story of Christmas believable. No one could have made this up. It's that crazy, that wild, and it grabs our hearts in our life when our circumstances don't always match what we think a God should do. And so with that said, if you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll look with me in the book of Genesis, because we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. And in the book of Genesis, that very first book, we gather the story where Christmas really began. In Genesis, if you don't have a Bible, there's one there in your seats you can grab and you can turn to page 9. We're going to go up the beginning of the story, the Christmas story. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to begin. And what we're going to begin with is God making a promise to a man named Abram who would eventually become Abraham. But it's not just any old promise. It's an impossible, unbelievable promise he makes to Abraham. And what he's essentially promising is the Christmas story. And so if you, if you got your Bibles, I really want you to see this. It's in Genesis chapter 12. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. 
It's, the scripture says, the Lord had said to Abraham, here's the promise, you're gonna go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you, so you're going on a journey that's gonna require a huge step of faith, and when you do that, and he eventually did, here's the promise, the impossible promise. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And here it is, the end of this passage, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through me? I'm gonna become a nation and the entire earth will be blessed through that nation? This is the promise that God made to a man that seemed impossible. Seemed impossible, and this is where the Christmas story began. Now, having said that, you look at that, and if you're like me, you think, I don't get it. I don't, I don't see a manger, I don't see Mary or Joseph, like I don't know how this is all gonna happen. Well, we're gonna do something a little different today. I just wanna give you a quick disclaimer as how we're gonna walk through the Bible. The way we normally interact with the Bible on a Sunday, if you're new, is we take a passage, we take one section of scripture and we spend some time there. Today what we're gonna do, if you love the Bible, you're gonna love, we're gonna go at a rapid pace through the entire Old Testament, okay? We will be done on time, all right? I know that's the first thing you thought. Aren't there 39 books? That's gonna take a bit. No, we're gonna do it quick. If you're new to the Bible, I'm really excited for you because I hope this will be helpful to kind of give you anchors in the Old Testament, as you read it, you'll see the timeline walk its way through. And they're just big anchors or big rocks through which you can put all the stories of the Old Testament. But it's important because God made this promise to Abraham in 2000 BC. We see this promise, this impossible promise to Abraham that he's gonna somehow form a nation through him through whom the world would be blessed. Impossible. So it seems. Because we read on one page, Abraham's thinking, how are you gonna make a nation through me? I'm 75 years old and I don't have any children. Gonna be kinda hard to make a nation through me, let alone bless the rest of the earth. But then we read on another page, three chapters later in Genesis chapter 15, where it says, Abraham believed. He's kinda like you and me, he's kinda waffling back and forth, isn't he? In fact, this word believe, the root word, we see over 1,100 times in Scripture, believe, trust, faith. This is the first time it ever shows up in Scripture. It's attached to the Christmas story. This is where it begins for the very first time. He believes there is some evidence that God has been faithful, but there is some evidence that there's some gaps, and he fills the gap with trust. Abraham believes. So notice in the Abraham story, on one page he trusts, on another, on another page he says, there is no way based on the circumstances of my life that I could ever believe. Feel familiar to you? It does to me. You think, well, eventually Abraham did have a son named Isaac who had a son named Jacob. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, God is often called the father or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you go, oh, so I get what happened so quickly. That means that he did form a quick nation and the earth was blessed through him. Well, no, instead, within three generations of Abraham receiving this promise, his descendants instead became a family which became a nation which was enslaved within the nation of Egypt. Well, that doesn't match God's promise at all. 
And all of a sudden, we see them enslaved in a nation. And they got to be thinking, wait a minute, did we misunderstand what God promised us? Because he said we were going to bless the world. Instead, we're enslaved in a foreign nation. Well, here's where we're going to fast forward the story. Because now, all of a sudden, we go to 1500 B.C. And we're introduced to a new character named Moses. Moses is the one, and this is, these, these are general time frames, but we see 1500 around that frame, we see Moses delivering the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and to the, back to their homeland of Israel. And immediately he is believing, you know why? Because God is doing all these supernatural miracles and delivering them. You remember the plagues, and you remember the crossing of the Red Sea, it's exciting. He's like, I believe, I believe, I believe on one page. Then you turn it another page and all of a sudden he's like, God, we're out in this desert and you completely abandon us. I guess I don't believe you. I misunderstood you. I don't believe. Where? Why? What's happening? In, in Moses' story, he's struggling with, I trust you, God. And based on my circumstances, I don't know if I trust you, God. A lot like us. We continue to forward the story and all of a sudden we get to... 500 years later, and around that time, there is the kingdom of Israel in 1000 BC. This is when the people finally get back to their homeland. It's, it's sort of a ragtag crew for a while, but eventually they begin to organize a government, and they eventually elect kings. And first it's Saul, then it's David. David being the most famous of the kings. And there's this sort of glorious period of the Israel nation. And yet, we see someone like David, who was a famous character in Scripture, who had faith and believed on one page. After all, he's the one that went in front of the giant Goliath and we celebrate his faith. That's what we learned in Sunday school. Yes, he was a man of faith. But then on another page, we read over here where David is going, God, you're silent. Where are you? Why would you allow this? And he's constantly questioning God's decisions. Why would a good God allow this? He wrestles with the same tension that you and I feel even today. And then we fast forward the story yet again, 500 more years, and we go into a period often called Babylonian captivity or Babylonian empire. It's the empire of Babylon. What's happened in the nation of Israel is they've essentially had a civil war and they divide north and south kingdom. And some of the Israelites are taken into exile in the nation of Babylon. Now you think about these people. They've been promised by God through Abraham that they would bless the rest of the world. And so far they've been enslaved in Egypt and then they're back in captivity again in another empire. This time, it's the Babylonian Empire. That doesn't, based on circumstances, sound like a God I would want to follow. That's what a lot of them are thinking. They struggle to believe. And yet, it's also during this time that we see great stories of faith like David in the lion's den. Or we also see great stories of faith like Queen Esther who steps up with Mordecai and has a great demonstration of faith. It's this back and forth all the time. And I can't think of any better example than Psalm 89 where we see people writing a psalm and demonstrating what we all feel. In Psalm 89, it begins with this. Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2. It begins with, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever, faith. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations, celebrating his faith. Yes, he gave a promise to Abraham, we haven't lived, but there's been enough that he's demonstrated, I will believe. And he goes on for verse after verse after verse, celebrating the faithfulness of God. 
And then all of a sudden, in an abrupt way, almost giving you whiplash in verse 46, after I will celebrate the faithfulness of God, he then writes, how long, Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all of humanity. And he's completely despondent. Does that sound familiar? Does that feel familiar in your own life? Where at one moment I have faith and the next moment I don't know. I don't know if I can believe anymore. This one psalm, in one page there's faith and the next page he starts looking around in my own life, in my own circumstance and I go, I don't know. I don't know if I believe anymore. I don't know if I can cling to this. I don't know if it's rock solid. And then, if that weren't bad enough, it truly gets darkest before dawn. We fast forward the story one more time in 63 BC when the Roman general Pompey conquers Jerusalem and the Roman Empire is born and what would eventually become the Holy Land is occupied by this foreign Roman government. And once again, the people of Israel, after being promised by God 2,000 years ago through Abraham that they would eventually bless the world, all they've seen happen is they go into slavery in Egypt, they go into captivity in Babylon, and now they're under the Roman government and they've got to be thinking, God, I, did we mishear you? Are you trustworthy? And they begin to doubt again. Now if we pause right here, we have to realize we've just covered 2,000 years of people believing and people doubting. People believing and then people doubting. People thinking, surely God is faithful. I don't know if he's faithful. And every time it's, I don't know if it's, he's faithful, it's because of the difficult circumstances that are true and painful and disappointing like you and I feel at times. And then suddenly, in an unexpected moment, something extraordinary happens. Something so extraordinary that as we look at it throughout all of history, it splits the calendar in two. And angels come and they make the announcement that all of history has been waiting on for 2,000 years. The angels come and announce, it's time. The promise will now be fulfilled and the angels come and announce that Jesus is coming and that he is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham and all of a sudden 2,000 years ago from here the first Christmas finally takes place as the groaning of earth has been waiting for this moment, doubting and believing and doubting and believing and doubting and believing, all of these people finally get to experience the trustworthiness of God. And when no one was expecting it, Christmas finally came. And we see it in Luke chapter 1. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Remember, he was a thousand years ago now who doubted and believed, doubted and believed. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. 
Now think how Mary would have heard that because after all, she has this unexpected pregnancy that she can't fully explain because she's not been with a man and she knows that everyone in that culture was really judging her and she felt shame in public and she's being told, no, the Lord is with you. It's one of those moments, right, where you think, well, can the Lord not be with me because this doesn't feel very good. In fact, look at how she responds. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and she wondered, what kind of a greeting this might be? Because on one page, Mary believed in the goodness of God. But on another page, Mary's circumstances caused her to doubt, just like you and me. Well, the angel goes on to say in verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And here it is he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Remember, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. And what we see in the first Christmas is simply this God keeps his promises. It's why when you look at the very beginning of the New Testament, the very first verse in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Jesus came who is the son of David and Abraham. Because they wanted, the writers of the scriptures wanted us all to know he is the fulfillment of the promise that was made in the very first book of the Bible. We want the very first book of the New Testament to proclaim God keeps his promises. So we go back to that very first question that we started with. Why do I trust God when there are times that circumstances indicate that he isn't trustworthy? And as hard as this is to hold on to, it is because God keeps his promises. We can trust him, no matter our circumstances. It's when we see the grand story of God, we begin to realize, why am I trying to, like Abraham, interpret all of who God is through my lifetime? Through David, why would I interpret who God is through his lifetime? Esther or Mary, why would they try and define who God is through their lifetime? We have the benefit of looking back and seeing the entire picture and we see that God does keep his promises, but it required them to look beyond their lifetime to see God's plan playing out. And there were times over the last 4,000 years where the thread of Christmas wasn't obvious, where people lost sight, where people lost hope, where people believed and people didn't believe, and yet all along God was fulfilling his promise and this is why Christmas is so special and important for us to celebrate each and every year because it reminds us even when God feels silent he's still working and Christmas is the fulfillment of a backstory that is so incredible it reminds us of the goodness of our God it turns out our faith isn't a blind leap of faith at all. There is a lot of evidence through which we can see the story of Jesus. But it might not all be through the circumstances of our life where we see the character 
of God. And if you're like me, this is where I lose sight of the grand story of God is I keep trying to interpret who God is through my own experience, through my own circumstances, through my experiences in life, I try to define who God is and his character and his faithfulness and his goodness. But you're, you and I are part of a much bigger story. It's the grand, infinite, wonderful story of God. And you are valuable. But to be truthful, your life is just one sentence in the grand story of God. And to try and interpret God through your life experience would be to shrink God down to your circumstances and would make him too small and would be to make you too big. And in something in these characters as we look, we realize somehow, some way, they embraced what they didn't know and trusted what they did know. And that is where faith is most beautiful. It allows for doubt because there's evidence that we can trust him. But oh, isn't it easy to lose sight of the big picture? I mean, we have a front row seat to our life. It feels really important, and I want to be the center of the universe, so why can't that just be how God is defined? But it would be kind of like if you were to pick up a book of the World War II, and you were to read one sentence instead of the rest of the book, and it just said, hey, on December the 7th, 1941, Japan attacked the United States in a battle at Pearl Harbor where 2,403 Americans were killed. And then you close the book without ever reading anything else about the war. And then you could think, well, I know what World War II was about. That's when the Japanese killed, you know, defeated the Americans on December the 7th, 1941. And someone would go, no, 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 that's not the war. That was a battle. But there was a war. Many more people lost their lives. Many more nations were involved. It wasn't just one day. It was many years. And you might even say, you can't define an entire war on one day or on one sentence out of a book. And in the same way, it's impossible to capture the character of God in our personal life, in our personal experience, in our circumstances. To try to understand fully who God is would be to make God too small and to make me too big. This is why we must celebrate Christmas every year. It's why we're so excited to do it as a church because it reminds me that there's more to this life than my life. And there's more to this life than this life. In other words, there's more to this story than my sentence. And sometimes I lose sight of that. I think it's about me and why doesn't everybody see my pain? And sometimes we're in brokenness place that we need to be encouraged by each other. It's okay to let people just show love to you and care to you. But then there are times we need to lift our head beyond our life and look out at other sentences and look out at other people and be part of the bigger story of what God is doing in this world. It's one of the reasons I love small groups because I'm reminded, oh, God is moving in your life too. Oh, he did that in your life. Well, that encourages me because right now in my circumstance, I'm not seeing that activity. But my faith is built when I see his activity in you. There's more than one sentence in the story. It's more than just about me. So then the question becomes, well, how in the meantime do I resolve the conflict between my true belief in God and my genuine doubts about God? Because this is where we all really live. And I think maybe it would be helpful to realize this isn't something to resolve. 
It's unrealistic to have a perfect faith. Instead, we would be maybe like the desperate father in the New Testament who went up to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm there, but I'm also still here. And instead of this being something that we resolve, maybe a better realization is that sometimes it's just something that we manage. My doubt and my faith is something to manage. It's not something to resolve. It's not something I'm going to fix. But to just simply realize, okay, this is something I need to manage. And if I'm going to manage this, well, then the question comes, how do I manage it? How do I manage the tension if I'm not going to resolve it? I know I have doubt. I know I have some trust. How do I manage that? And I just want to be super practical and just say, I think the best way is, and I think this church is so good at this, is to not get trapped in your sentence, but to participate in God's story. He's working. I I met with some of you this morning and you're telling me what God is doing in your life. And I'm like, man, I love to hear that. I wouldn't have seen that if you hadn't shared that with me. He's not just working in my life, he's working in your life. We need to be in community with each other and see this and not get so trapped in my story, but to participate in the greater story of God. Your sentence has value, but it's just one sentence in his story. One of the things I am growing to love about LifePoint Church is you get this. There are so many of you who live beyond your life, and I love that about you. Love that about each of you. And over the last four weeks, you have been demonstrating this in very practical ways right here in Collin County. Over the last four weeks, if you haven't been here, what we've been practicing is we've gone through this series that we just called Outside the Walls. And what we were hoping to do was to, in practical ways, show the love of God to six other non-profit organizations here in our county who serve vulnerable people like homeless and, and, and people who have food insecurity and a foster and adoptive children, expected parents, and so forth. And we wanted to show the love of God in practical ways by financially uh, supporting them and also physically serving them. We wanted to be rich in good deeds, remember? And we wanted to be generous and willing to share. And man, have you guys done that. So we've been promising that we would give an update at the end of the series. Well, it is time for that. You didn't have to wait 2,000 years, so that's good, right? May have felt like it. Are you ready to receive the update today? Amen. Good. There's at least 50 of you that are. Are you ready to receive the update? I want to I want us to celebrate. Hey. Here's why I want you to celebrate because tonight around 7:30 we're going to celebrate the Cowboys beating the Colts and I'm excited about celebrating that. But this is certainly more significant when we as a church show our county God's love by being rich in good deeds and willing to share, we ought to feel the freedom to celebrate what he is doing through us. So I want you to not sit on your hands or to go, you know, I'm gonna be a, give the stoic like, okay, great. No, we can celebrate being obedient to God because we did this together. And therefore I think it really matters. One of the things that we did was we asked you to write some thank you cards. To the Razor Elementary down the street who Title I school serves underprivileged kids you guys wrote 70 thank you cards and because of your generation yeah you can celebrate that amen so this week 
This week, every one of those teachers and staff members who work at Razor Elementary will receive a personalized card of thanks from you along with a gift card because of your generosity. We are so grateful. But you didn't just stop there. We also had an angel tree out in the lobby and there were over 90 uh, ornaments on that tree. And what that was about was each of those ornaments represented a kid or a family in the adoptive or foster care system. And we wanted to do something very special for them this Christmas season. And 93 of those ornaments were taken by you to invest in each of these families this year, this Christmas. Amen? Isn't that great? And then we also had a thing that we just called, uh, we were opportunity to give. This idea of clearing the list is what we called it. And, and what this meant was, we said, look, each of these organizations have given us a list of their needs and, and we want to, we formed a master list and we said, we want to just clear that list so they can keep focusing on what they do best with the homeless and with the hungry and with the orphans. But we realized in order to do that, we needed 116 people to give $20, a one-time gift. And, and we said, and, and if we give less or we give more, every penny is going to go to these organizations. And that would come to more than $2,300. You know what your response was? Your response is, instead of giving 116, you gave over 500, the equivalent of over 525, over $10,000. Amen. Collectively, we gave over four and a half times our original goal. You guys have great faith and we don't, but way to go. And then finally, we asked you to serve. We said, hey, would you actually give your greatest commodity time? And would you go and alongside these other people and spend some of your time over the last four weeks serving alongside them? And you guys showed up and boy did you show up because over the last four weeks, you guys have invested over 170 hours serving these six organizations, amen? That's, that's more than one person would do in a full-time job over a month you stepped up and gave in that way almost a hundred people participated that we know of and we keep hearing of more that we didn't know of who stepped up to serve and to contribute alongside these other people in fact yesterday and this will be the last picture that comes up yesterday we went to hunger the children's hunger fund and we had almost 70 people who showed up there to serve and to, 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 to have a lot of fun together. And there have been a lot of stories that we've heard over the last few weeks, but there's just one snippet of a story that I want to share. There's a uh, Rick Wiley who attends our church, went along with some others to serve at Our Calling. It's a homeless ministry centered in Dallas. And while he was there along with the others who were serving, there was one gentleman who is homeless and who had recently lost a loved one. And Rick, who recently lost his wife, began to have a conversation with this man about grief, about hope, and about faith. And in the end, I know Rick encouraged this man, but in talking to Rick, I can tell this man encouraged Rick. One of the things Rick has communicated is, I didn't realize how close that was to my home and I, I'm going to be able to go back. I want to continue to serve our calling on my own beyond. Isn't that great? This is one of the stories of many that we've heard over the last four weeks. Here's, here's the bottom line. Your generosity has blown me away. You know what you have done? You have refused to get trapped in your sentence 
but to participate in the grand story of God. To recognize this life is about more than your life, uh, more than my life. This is about other people who are vulnerable, who are in need, who we get to step up and be rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share. And you are doing that. And I just want to say, this is not the end of a journey, but the beginning of a journey. We want to see this expand more and more because we want our county, if they know nothing about LifePoint Church, to know that we care and that we are here to show the love of God to them through us as we wrestle with faith and doubt. It's not about us, it's about Him. And if we can step into some opportunity to serve, we wanna be like Jesus who didn't come to be served, but came to serve. And you have been reflecting the love of Jesus in that way. So let's just conclude in this way, remembering that your life is one sentence in God's story. Don't ever get trapped in your one sentence, but keep participating in God's story. And I'm so proud as a church that we are taking those steps. It's in our legacy and we wanna keep moving forward in this way. So here's what I wanna do. We're gonna close with a song that talks about what we've been wrestling with this morning. This idea of, is there enough proof? Is there not enough proof? Can I have doubt? Can I have belief? Where is the evidence? And as Isaac said, we have to begin by looking back at what God has done. Even before the Christmas story, seeing the faithfulness of God. And as when we remember that He keeps His promises. Oh, there's plenty of evidence. This isn't a blind leap of faith, but it's clinging to the God who is faithful and He will be faithful beyond our lifetime. But let's make our sentence count. Let's be people who trust Him no matter what. So would you stand with me as we prepare to sing this final song? I want to just offer a prayer. God, I just thank you so much for our church. I celebrate so much the people in this room and those who may not be here, maybe listening online, listening on a podcast today. God, I pray that for each person who participated, God, would you just shower them with the knowledge that they are showing your love. Thank you for a church full of people who live beyond themselves. May we just grow in this area. Father, I pray for all of us as we wrestle with faith and doubt. It isn't a lack of evidence, but sometimes we fail to remember the evidence. So God, help us to cling to you and your goodness. Regardless of what we bring in our hands today, may we open it to you and let our vulnerability become desperation for the God who is trustworthy. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.